What is God's design for women? Our culture offers a very distorted answer to that question, bombarding us with messages and images that miss God's good design. Women are promised liberation, all the while being physically abused, sexually objectified, and even encouraged to ignore or change their God-given gender. And the problem isn't just out there in the world. The church often misses God's good design as well. The roles of wives and mothers are often devalued, as well as the important role of single women in the church's life and mission. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more free resources over at our website, Radical.net. Well, in today's new message, David Platt addresses these distortions by providing an overview of biblical womanhood that begins with Genesis 1 and then draws from various passages of Scripture. Only as we listen to God's Word and find our identity in His gospel will we see the goodness and the fruit of God's design for women. Here's David with a sermon titled, Biblical Womanhood, from Genesis chapter 1. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, I want to invite you to open with me to Genesis chapter 1. It's the first chapter in the Bible. And while you're turning there, I want to welcome those of you in Montgomery County and Loudoun and Prince William and Wharf down on Maine and other uh, different microsites, assisted living centers, homeless shelters around Washington. It's good to be together around God's Word, especially on this Mother's Day as we pause in our series on biblical traits of a church and we think together about biblical womanhood. So I know I've been here at McLean a relatively short amount of time, but I hope you have seen in me as a pastor a willingness to address pressing issues in our lives and our culture and the church with God's word. I hope that you have seen that we will not back away from looking at even unpopular or hard truths in God's word. I hope in a way that's good for our hearts as we consider how God calls us to think and live very different in this world. I love the men and women in this church and I just feel like it feels like every week you are bombarded nonstop by this world with all kinds of messages that are contrary to God's word and we have an hour and a half set aside in our week to say one another no I don't believe it believe God And I share this as set up today because as a pastor who cares deeply for you, I look around us and see a culture and sadly, oftentimes a church culture in our country that all too often denies the dignity of womanhood. I see a culture that distorts true beauty away from God's design I see a culture that devalues and denigrates women on all sorts of levels. I see see a world where it is dangerous to be a woman, and that's not an overstatement. Just this morning, outside our building, our team met with a woman who had just been abused. Tomorrow, I will leave, Lord willing, to go overseas and see how we can support ministry in one of the worst countries in the world for trafficking women. It's not just there, it's, it's here. I see public, high-profile leaders misusing power to exploit women for selfish gain. And I see private, low-profile men indulging constantly in pornography for personal pleasure. From politicians to Christians and pastors and church leaders and everywhere in between. And the effects 
around us everywhere are evident in gender confusion, struggling marriages, abandoned spouses, single parents, hurting children, and in the middle of it all, we desperately need to hear from God. But here's the danger, and it's directly related to this. We also live in a day where the Bible, God's word, is viewed as antiquated on issues of gender and sexuality. Some even in the church, some supposed pastors even saying it's out of touch, even offensive. I grieve how over even recent weeks the Bible's credibility has been called into account because of words spoken and counsel given by church leaders. But I long for you to see the beauty and the goodness of God's word when it comes to issues of gender and sexuality. If you are a follower of Christ, I long for you to see that you can trust God and his word. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I long for you to see that God's ways are far more fulfilling than the ways, this, ways of this world and how they will ever be. So today, I want to attempt a biblical overview of womanhood in a way that I hope and have prayed will be edifying to women all across this church on Mother's Day and at the same time a reminder to men of the dignity and value of women in such a way that we praise them. And when I say praise, I mean praise. Proverbs 31.30, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now, obviously that verse is not exhorting us to idolatry. The point is when you praise women for the goodness of God you see in them, who are you ultimately praising? God, the God who made them and loves them. C.S. Lewis said, if we do not admire what is praiseworthy, we shall be stupid, insensible, and great losers. And I don't want to be in a church full of losers. So we praise women according to God's word, which leads me to show you a survey of what God's word says to and about women from the beginning of the Bible to the end. Now, a survey by nature will take us some different places. We won't have time to turn to all of them, so you might take notes. Picture it like a tour through the Bible. And on this tour, I want to stop along the way and show you 10 different affirmations that God's word makes to women, and specifically to women in different circumstances. If you're a woman, my, my hope is the next few minutes, God's word will speak clearly to your heart right where you're sitting with whatever's going on in your life right now. And that's what I've prayed for. And then I've prayed, if you're a man, my hope and prayer has been, I was praying this this morning, that God's word would lead you and me to praise women, to honor and esteem, Love, lay down our lives to serve women selflessly, maybe even open our eyes this morning to ways we can better love, serve women around us, whether they are our wives or mothers or simply women in the church and culture around us. So let's hear from God's word. We'll start in the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is the uh, getting near the end of the creation account, sixth day, verse 26. This is God's word. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, let's stop there. Stop number one on this tour of womanhood through Scripture. Hear God's word saying to every woman in the world, you are dignified and distinguished. God's word says to every woman in the world, you are dignified and distinguished, honored and majestic according to the design of God. 
And from the very beginning of this truth, even the language here, I want to make it clear. I want to start cutting through the lies of this world. So to every woman in the world, you are dignified, but your dignity is not dependent on your physical appearance. And your dignity is not dependent on your career. And your dignity is not dependent on your marital status. Your dignity is not dependent on any man or anyone's opinion. No, to every woman in the world, your dignity has been given to you by God himself. You are created in the image of God. Like God in the sense that you resemble him. You have moral, intellectual, relational capacities like God. Your desire to love and care, your ability to speak and work, your capacity to forgive and encourage, all of these things in you resemble and represent the God in whose image you have been made. Now, one might say the same thing could be said about man, and that's kind of the point. Men and women are both created in the image of God. So from the very beginning of the Bible, God in his word is speaking directly against any kind of male or female superiority or dominance, which means in any culture, in any country, in a world where all kinds of cultures and countries are filled like this, in any relationship where a man is thought to be better than woman, or woman thought to be better than man, in any culture, any relationship where a man or woman is treated as inferior, as an object to be used or abused or controlled, then we are going directly against the design of God. It is not, it is never right to disparage or belittle women or men, sexual inferiority or superiority, misogyny, male dominance, female exploitation, all of these things are sinful violations of God. God's word, and there is no place for them anywhere in the world. Men and women possess equal dignity before God and are equally distinguished by God. So God did not create gender neutral people. He created man and woman, both distinguished by unique God-given dignity. And this is so important in a culture where feminism is oftentimes equated with downplaying, defaming, disparaging, or outright denying this God-designed distinction. So much of the message in contemporary feminism is that there is nothing uniquely wonderful about being a woman when the Bible says there is. And this is so important in a culture where various women are tempted to think, I wish I was a man. Various men tempted to think, I wish I was a woman. I long for you to see that God has created you as a woman or as a man with dignity and divine distinction that you can rejoice and rest in. Don't believe the lies of this world. God created you good. Very good, actually, in Genesis 1.31. You were created physically different, yet equally dignified. So to every woman in this room and other campuses, hear the word of God to you. You are wonderfully and beautifully formed by God himself in his very image. And even as I use that word beautifully, don't let your mind immediately wander to the world's definition of beauty. You look in Proverbs 31, the picture of biblical womanhood there, you won't see hardly any mention of that woman's physical appearance. The one thing that our culture seems to exalt above all else, our culture is screaming in thousands of ways. Businesses are spending billions of dollars. Entertainment industries are spending countless hours to convince women that their need for esteem, fulfillment, and significance is found in looking a certain way. And the word of God in Proverbs 31:30 resounds across our culture. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Amen. A woman who knows she resembles God and represents God with distinguished dignity. To every woman in the world, you are dignified and distinguished. 
Which leads to the second stop on our tour, one chapter later in Genesis 2, where God's word says to every wife in the world, you are an invaluable treasure. To every wife in the world, you are an invaluable treasure. Read with me starting in Genesis 2, verse 18. So the very next chapter, the Lord God said, it is not good, verse 18, that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Oh, see the picture here. So from the very first verse we read, verse 18, because up until that verse, it's interesting, everything in the Bible was good. We see that theme resounding over and over again. In Genesis 1 and 2, God, God saw all that he created, it was good. It was good. It was good. Until you get to verse 18 of chapter 2, and the God says, it's not good. What's not good? What's not good is that the man is alone. According to God, man needs woman, and woman needs man. This is where we learn from the beginning of the Bible that men and women are created to complement one another. Going back to the distinguished reality we've already discussed, we realize in Genesis 2 that men and women are distinct for a reason. And that distinction is more than just a difference in physical anatomy. This is not evolutionary accident here. This is not biological triviality. This is God creating man to need woman and woman to need man in many ways and specifically marriage. Now I trust we realize we're going totally against the grain of the way our country defines marriage right now. But according to the Bible, we do not have the right to redefine what God has defined from the very beginning. And he's defined it that way, follow this, for a reason, for a reason. The Bible teaches that in the beginning, when God made man, then woman, he wasn't just rolling the dice, being creative, flipping a coin, and then brought them together in a relationship called marriage. God had a purpose here. He was painting a picture, a purpose and a picture that would be fully revealed when Jesus came, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave in victory over death and instituted the church. At which point the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 5, so look at this on the screen with me. Ephesians 5 quotes what we just read at the end of Genesis 2 verse 24 about man and woman coming together in marriage and then says this mystery is profound and I I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Oh, don't miss this. In the design and definition of marriage, God is painting a picture. In marriage, God is purposing to illustrate his love for people. God designs marriage in such a way that in a husband's sacrificial love for his wife, the world will see a picture of Christ's sacrificial love for the church. And a wife's respect for her husband. The world sees a picture of the church's reverence for Christ. Now, there's a ton we could talk about here, but for now, just think about how this revelation stunned men and women in the first century and how it shouts to men and women in the 21st century in cultures that are prone to devalue women and specifically wives. The Bible says no. Husbands, do you see how Jesus treats his church? How he loved her, served her, ultimately sacrificed, laid down his life for her? You love and serve and sacrifice and lay down your life for your wife like that. To every wife in the world, you are an invaluable treasure in marriage, apart from whom marriage is not possible, and in whom marriage is a powerful picture of the gospel. So contrary to what our world says, you are not optional in marriage. You are invaluable in marriage. And contrary to far too much contemporary practice, you are not trivial in marriage to be treated lightly. You are a treasure in marriage to be cherished deeply. To every wife in the world, you are an invaluable treasure. 
which then leads to the third stop on our tour. For part of the purpose of marriage is the multiplication of more people made in the image of God. That was the first command given to man and woman in marriage. We read it in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So hear this word from God to mothers and grandmothers. God is using your life in ways you cannot imagine. To mothers and grandmothers, God is using your life in ways you cannot imagine. Biblically, we could literally go from page to page from this point, seeing mothers like Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, Naomi and Ruth, the mother in Proverbs 31 whose children rise up and call her blessed, Elizabeth, the mother of John, Mary, the mother of Jesus. But I want to draw your attention to two lesser known women who are only mentioned once in the Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'll put it up here on the screen. You might write it down in this letter to Timothy a man who played a huge part in the spread of the gospel, the planting of the church in the first century, Paul writes these words in verse five. I am reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. It's interesting, we know from Acts chapter 16 that Timothy's dad was Greek and likely not a believer, yet Timothy had sincere faith in Christ. How? And Paul is acknowledging here how Timothy's sincere, authentic faith in God had been modeled and passed down to him by a mother and a grandmother in a home day after day, month after month, year after year, in that home in a way that was now reverberating through the church around the world. So mothers and grandmothers, hear this word. God is using your life in your home in ways that reverberate far beyond your home. And much like everything else we're seeing in God's word today, this too is being undercut, undervalued, even contradicted in our culture. Now, obviously, I want to be clear. The Bible doesn't say whether or not a mother should work outside the home. Various moms do, various moms don't. The Bible doesn't speak specifically to that. But the Bible does say that we should absolutely value a mother's work inside the home. And we live in a day where even the idea of just being a mom or prioritizing all that mothering involves is actually seen by some as second class or even a waste of someone's life. And I hope we realize that that kind of thinking is not only biblically wrong, but it is practically absurd. Few things are more important in this world than the formation of children, which is the foundation upon which so much of this world is built. Being a mother, a grandmother, is in no way second class or a waste. It is a wonderful calling to build the next generation. This is not intellectually restraining. This is the highest teaching and training that exists in the world. This is not a limitation of a woman's gifts. This is the application of those gifts in ways that lead to the multiplication of good for children and all they will do in the world one day in ways that will carry on long after you have gone. I have yet to meet a grandmother or mother who has regretted pouring her life into her children. I have yet to meet a child who wishes his or her mother or grandmother would not have raised him or her in love. I guarantee you, Lois and Eunice did not regret pouring their faith into their son and grandson. I guarantee you they also had no idea how he would become one of the greatest leaders in the history of the church. So to mothers and grandmothers, hear God saying that he is using your life in ways you cannot imagine. So press on and persevere amidst the long days and even the longer nights, amidst the delightful days and the dark, hard, difficult days, trusting that your love for your children and your grandchildren is never, ever in vain. And be encouraged, by the way, here, single moms or moms whose husbands are not followers of Christ. Notice how Timothy's dad is not even mentioned here. So even when you were doing this task alone, 
or especially when you are doing this task alone, know that God himself is your ever-present help. And when you feel like you're falling short, know that God promises to sustain you, to strengthen you, to uphold you with his right hand, to use your life in ways that you can't see in the day-to-day struggle. That leads us to this next affirmation. Knowing that not every woman and not every mom is a wife. So hear God's word to singles. Your marital status does not make you incomplete. Your marital status does not make you incomplete. There's so much here we could discuss about singleness and we need to discuss as the church and our culture. Just a little context, 100 years ago, more than 90% of the adult population in our country was married. Most people married young, divorce was uncommon, even widows often remarried quickly for the most part. Being an adult was synonymous with being married. Singleness was rare. Today, almost half of the adult population in our country is unmarried. Nearly half of the adults have either never, never married or are now widowed or separated or divorced. People are staying single longer than ever before. And as a result, single adults are almost as common as married adults today. So what are we to think about this? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? How does the Bible speak to this? Hopefully better than we in the church have spoken to singleness. You look in Christian bookstores, you find a plethora of books on marriage and parenting compared with a small number of books on singleness. And you compare the content, it's very interesting You see, very few marriage books argue that marriage is a good thing. That's kind of accepted. Instead, they just talk about the problems in marriage and how to deal with those problems. So Christian marriage books tell you how to deal with the difficulty of marriage. On the other hand, books on singleness take a different approach. They often imply that singleness is a problem. They tell a single how to make the most of the time until the right person finally comes along. In other words, they say the solution to the problem of singleness is marriage. And then, good news, once you get married, you can have all kinds of other problems and read the marriage books. (laughs) It's a conspiracy. There's gotta be a better answer than this. And the Bible gives it. The Bible gives it in pictures all throughout scripture of men and women for whom singleness is not a problem, but a blessing. At the top of the list of single men would be Jesus. John the Baptist, Paul, list of single women includes names like Mary and Martha, Miriam and Lydia. And the reason we need to stop here on our tour through womanhood of scripture is because some single women might be tempted to think on Mother's Day that because you are not a mother or because you are not married, then you are not fulfilling God's design in some way. Some might even say that you need a a husband to complete you when the Bible does not say that. And that's why I word this affirmation this way. Yes, the Bible, as we've seen, gives a glorious picture of wives and moms, but the Bible also tells us that in Christ, we are complete regardless of our marital status, Galatians 3 and 4. Singleness is called a gift in 1 Corinthians 7 to be maximized for God's glory as long as God gives that gift. In Matthew 19, 10 through 12, Jesus says it is good. It's good to be single for the sake of the kingdom. And God in his word calls himself the all-sufficient, all-satisfying husband to his people. Isaiah 54, 5, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. So single women on this Mother's Day know that according to God in Christ, you are absolutely complete. And I would take it a step further. So let me take this one step further because as one of your pastors, I know that church life can often seem focused on families and couples, but please don't let your singleness tempt you to believe that you don't have a meaningful place in our church family. Based on 1 Corinthians 7, I would say that our church family is incomplete without you. God is using you in unique ways that portray the gospel that must not be underestimated or squandered, which is why I pastorally would also encourage you never to let longing for marriage and physical family 
tempt you to take matters into your own hands in a way that you walk outside of God's good design. We want to be a family of faith that supports and serves alongside you in all the good ways God has designed as long as he grants you what he calls in 1 Corinthians 7, a gift in singleness. So much we could say more here. We'll dive into more in the days ahead, but singles just hear from God's word that your marital status does not make you incomplete. Next stop on our tour, to the barren. God is your all-powerful, all-wise hope. To the barren, the word the Bible uses to describe couples and women who struggle to have children biologically. And it's fascinating, as you read the Bible from the very beginning, this is actually very common among women of faith. Sarah, Abraham's wife, was 90 years old before she became pregnant, Genesis 18. We see infertility in Isaac's wife, Rebekah, Genesis 25, 21, uses the word barren to describe her. Same thing with Jacob's wife, Rachel, in Genesis 29, 31. So the three matriarchs in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible. We see Hannah weeping for a child in 1 Samuel. Elizabeth longing for a child in the book of Luke. Needless to say, women who struggle to have children biologically do not find themselves alone in the Bible. This journey of infertility is a familiar one to Heather and me, and I I know it's familiar to women and men across this church. That's why I emphasize this language. God is your all-powerful, all-wise hope. So if you are struggling to have children biologically, I want to encourage you that God is indeed all powerful. So part of the purpose of God, part in many of these stories of barrenness in the Bible is to increase the faith of these women and their husbands as they look to God and trust in God. Infertility is a reminder that God alone can open the womb and provide children He is all powerful. And he has the power to open the womb. This is why Psalm 139 can sing, he gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. But that's also the struggle, right? Because if God is able to do this, then why does he sometimes not do it? That was certainly the prayers Heather and I were praying for month after month, for year after year, five years, about for us. And just praying, God, you have the power to do this, so why are you not doing it? You've given us the desire for children, so either show your power or take away the desire. And that leads to the second part here. He's all powerful and God is all wise. And barrenness, infertility, leads us to trust not just in the power of God, but in the wisdom of God. To believe that in his wisdom, God is working in ways we cannot see and we may not understand. He was certainly doing that in our lives as we were pleading before him month after month and just wondering, God, are you not hearing us? Are you not listening to us through tears? Little did we know that he was forming a little boy over in Kazakhstan who would not have a home and he was using this painful journey to ultimately lead us to adopt our son Caleb into our family. I cannot imagine life without, my life without Caleb, my assistant coach in T-ball right now. And then we get back and two weeks later we find out that Heather's pregnant. And so then, then God opens the womb. We have our second son, Joshua. And then for the next three years, the womb is closed again. In the middle of that process, he leads us down a process of adoption of our daughter, Mara, from China. And then we get back and three months later, Heather is pregnant. I've told you before, her her doctor said, 
If you adopt four, you'll have eight. I'm not sure that's the way it works, Doc. But. The whole point is, I, today I praise God for five years of infertility. I praise him for it. I, I never could have seen that in those moments. Now, I am not saying in any way that your story will be like our story if you're in the middle of this, but I would absolutely say that the God who has all power also has all wisdom, and you can place your hope in him. And even if, so Father, hear this from God, even if God never opens the womb, he holds out hope. He says in Isaiah 54, 1, sing, O barren one who did not bear, sing, break forth in a singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. In other words, don't underestimate the heritage of adopted or foster or spiritual children God desires to give you, an offspring that Isaiah 54, 3 says will possess the nations. And then God's word says to the widow, God is your never failing, always faithful provider. To the widow, God is your never failing, always faithful provider. One of our pastors, Dale Sutherland, uh, woke Friday morning to news that his dad had gone to be with the Lord unexpectedly. So we praying for Dale and his family. My dad died suddenly of a heart attack it's almost 14 years ago now, but there were some circumstances earlier this last week that I won't go into, just brought back the pain of losing him to the surface in a fresh way. And I was talking with my mom on the phone this week through tears as she just thanked God for the way he has faithfully provided for her in dad's absence. We were singing over here this morning. I just pulled out my phone and just texted her in the middle of singing, just telling her how thankful I am to God for her. I know there are women across this church whose husbands have died. And I just want to remind you from God's word that God has promised to be your never failing, always faithful provider. God has given clear, continual, and comprehensive instructions in his word for your care. All throughout the Old Testament, God gives clear commands to his people to provide for the widow. Those commands powerfully depicted in the story of Ruth and Naomi, two widows whose story testifies to God's faithful provision. Then you get to the New Testament, 1 Timothy 5, God commands the church to honor widows in very concrete ways. The book of James God says true religion looks after widows. God calls himself the protector of widows in Psalm 68.5, the one who upholds the widow in Psalm 146.9, and the one in whom the widow can trust in Jeremiah 49.11. So to the widow on this Mother's Day, hear God reminding you right where you're sitting that he is your never failing, always faithful provider. few final stops on our tour of womanhood through scripture. One, to those who are hurting, to those who are hurting in all kinds of different ways. God sees your sorrow and hears your cries. You know, it's interesting. As far as I can tell, in all of ancient Near Eastern literature, not just the Bible, but broader than that, there's only one woman whom deity addresses directly by name. It's in the Bible, but it's not one of the great matriarchs in the Old Testament. Instead, it's a woman named Hagar, basically a slave who had been harshly treated. She flees, finds herself alone in a wilderness in Genesis 16, where God comes to her and calls her name. And then listen to her response in Genesis 16, 13. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. This is what she called God. You are a God of seeing for she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Then later at another wilderness moment, alone with her baby boy who is about to die, God speaks to her again, saying in Genesis 21, 17, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. I can only imagine that there are women all across this room and other campuses today who are hurting in a variety of different ways. Some feel belittled, 
Others feel broken. Some feel abandoned. Others feel alone. Even in a big crowd, you feel alone. Some wonder if God sees your sorrow or hears your cries. And if that's you, I want you to hear him saying in his word that absolutely he does. I was in Psalm 56 in my Bible reading this week. I read in verse eight, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. I thought God counts my tossings in the night. Not one of them is unknown to him. God knows every single tear you've shed. And he doesn't just see and hear. He promises to help and uphold you in the midst of your hurt, especially when you've been hurt by others' sin against you. In the middle of hurting, God sees your sorrow and hears your cry. And even when there's hurt from your sin against him, so follow this. Next stop on the tour, God's word says to those who are struggling with sin and guilt, God forgives you by faith. To those struggling with sin and guilt, God forgives you by faith. Do you ever feel like you're failing as a mom, as a wife, as a woman in this way or that way? Do you ever feel like you can't measure up to whatever standard you have in your mind? Maybe you look on Facebook and you see all these people who seem to have it all together. At least that's what you, they want you to think. And you start to think, I just can't keep up. And you think of this area or that area where you're falling short. And before long, you're weighed down either by sin or just a low level sense of guilt that you can't seem to shake. There's all kinds of places I could go to in scripture here, but one woman who immediately comes to my mind is Rahab, the woman who is known for her faith in the Bible as an example of faith. This woman whose name is listed in the family lineage of Jesus, yet we remember that Rahab's profession at one point was a prostitute. Like you, you didn't want to be Rahab when you looked at her Facebook profile. And the same could be said about a variety of women in Scripture. Think the woman caught in adultery about to be stoned. Or Eve from the very beginning of the Bible. How many people wanted to be her friend? So this is a book where from Genesis 3 on, we see sin in women and we see love in God. Sin in women, love in God, over and over and over again. And this is the great news on Mother's Day. So no woman in this room or at other campuses is without sin. No woman or man in this room or other campuses can measure up to God's holy standard. And as a result, you, we all deserve separation from God forever. But the good news of the Bible is that God on high loves you. No matter what could be included on your Facebook profile, including the secrets you would never want anyone else in this world to know, God knows it all and God loves you. And God on high has made a way for you to be forgiven of all your sin and free from all your guilt. God has sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sin, to rise from the grave in victory over death. And God has not given you, hear this, he, God has not given you a list of things to do to earn his love. God has not called you to measure up. God has called you to trust, believe in the one who measures up for you and to trust in his love and lordship over your life. If you have never called out for God to save you from your sin and guilt, if you have never put your faith in him as Lord, then I invite you, I urge you, do that today. Right where you're sitting, right now, even to say in your heart, yes, I return, I repent, turn away from my sin. I trust in Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And to all those struggling with sin and guilt, look to God and you are forgiven, completely forgiven by faith.
And know this, Christian sister, especially in those moments when you are reminded that you're not perfect, when your sin rears its head in any number of different ways, and your thoughts or your desires or your words or your actions, remember, oh, don't forget that Jesus has paid the price for all of it, and you stand before God righteous, forgiven by faith. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That is the greatest news any one of us could here on Mother's Day. Leads us to these last two stops. To those facing the impossible, God is your strength. Are there any women in this room or other campuses who feel like they can't do it all? Who feel like marriage, motherhood, singleness, career, too hard to carry? Are there any women who feel like life in a world of sin and suffering is sometimes too much to handle? So hear God's word to probably the most prominent woman in the entire Bible, Mary, as she considered a task for which she did not feel worthy and in which she did not see a way for it to happen. God said to her in Luke 1:37, for nothing will be impossible with God. In other words, God said, Mary, that to which I call you, I promise to empower you. And Mary responds in verse 38, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So if I could, I would like to share some bad news with women all across this church. So here it is. On your own, you cannot do that which God has called you to do. You cannot be the single woman God has called you to be. You cannot be the wife God has called you to be. You cannot be the mom God has called you to be. You cannot be the woman God has called you to be. But here's the good news. God has not called you to do any of these things alone. That to which he has called you, he promises to empower you. What you have on your plate, it seems overwhelming. That to which God calls you, he promises to empower you. So to any woman who feels overwhelmed right now, be overcome by this reality. The God of the universe is your strength. And based on that reality, hear this final word to women on Mother's Day. To every sister in Christ, do not underestimate your role in making the gospel and glory of God known in the world around you. I wish we had time at this point to do a whole other survey of all the women whom God used in the, Bible, in the Bible for the display of his goodness and glory in the world. I think Abigail, the wife of a wicked man, yet her wisdom and generosity saved her family from death. Deborah, who brought about victory for God's people in the time of the judges. Ruth, who shows the power of redemption through her loyalty and love. Esther risked her life to save the Jewish people from total extermination. Then in the New Testament, I don't think people today realize how radical Jesus and Christianity was regarding women in the first century with implications for the 21st century. In ancient Greece, a respectable woman couldn't even leave the house unless she was accompanied by a man. A wife couldn't eat or interact with males. Women had the social status of slaves. Ancient Rome wasn't much different. A husband had the power of life and death over his wife. He could divorce her if she went out in public without a veil over her face. Sadly, I trust we realize there are many places in the world, even right around us here, where this is a reality for women. And into this kind of culture, Jesus steps on the scene and raises the status of women to entirely new heights. He totally redefines the dignity of women through his interactions with them in a way that redefines the dignity of women around the world today. In his interactions with Mary and Martha, a Samaritan woman at the well, and scores of other women, Jesus contradicts anti-female culture. He sets the standard for the church to follow, which is why we see Lydia, Phoebe, Priscilla, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Euodia, countless other unnamed women whose lives were instruments in God's hands for the spread of the gospel and glory of God in the Bible. So sister in Christ, see and hear how God has uniquely and wonderfully designed your life for his glory in the world. Do not underestimate for a second your role in making the gospel and glory of God known in the world around you. See a biblical survey of beautiful womanhood according to God's design. And please, I urge you, please don't believe the lies of this world and don't believe 
distortions of the Bible. Your womanhood is a prize to be praised. So fear God. Trust his word over the words of this world. Follow his ways over the ways of this world. And spend your life as a woman for the spread of God's worship in the world. Amen. So here's, here's how I want to close. I, I want us to pray, but I, I want us to pray uh, specifically. The word is beckoning us to pray specifically for women. And so I'm going to invite uh, all the women in this room and at other campuses, if you wouldn't mind, as a picture of us praying for you, just lifting you up before the Lord, would you stand where you are? And we want to pray for you and just with you standing, this to be a picture of us saying, we are interceding for you. We are lifting you up before the Lord as, as we praise you, as we praise God for his goodness in you. So here in other campuses, let's, let's bow our heads and let's go before our Father in heaven. Oh God, we praise you for these women. The women right around us right now, we praise you for the way you have formed them in your image, created them for your glory as a display of your goodness, and we praise you for your grace in them. We praise you for the distinguished dignity you have given to them, the invaluable treasures that they are. And we pray right now for your blessings on them. God, we pray that amidst all the lies of this world, God, that the, the goodness and beauty of your truth would saturate their hearts and minds, that they would know who they are according to your word, that they would rest in you, that they would find total freedom and joy and peace, confidence and hope, love and all their hearts long for in you, Lord Jesus, in relationship with you. And then, oh God, that as instruments in your hands, that you would bless them in such a way that your glory would spread through them with the unique God-given dignity you have entrusted to them. God, we pray. The McLean Bible Church would be a church would be a family of faith where women are thriving in the midst of all kinds of different circumstances, from single to married to moms to grandmothers, widows, those struggling to have children biologically, all these things we've looked at amidst the hurts and pains of this world, amidst the weaknesses that we all have. God, we pray for your blessings on the women in this church that you would shower your grace upon them in every way, that all these words we've just heard from your word would soak deeply into their hearts, like water in the desert. And we pray that you would help us to be salt and light in a world around us where there is so much confusion about the goodness of your word and your design for us. We love you, God. We praise you for these women. In Jesus' name, amen. Sisters in Christ, see and hear how God has uniquely and wonderfully designed your life for His glory in the world. Do not underestimate your role in making the gospel and glory of God known in the world around you. Thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. If you'd like to watch this full sermon or hundreds of other sermons, interviews, articles, podcasts on a variety of topics, that's all available free to you at Radical.net. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen, and until next time, join us there at Radical.net.